Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined as usual by Carl Mascarenas, but we also have a special guest with us today, Michael Maynard, unofficial spokesman for Toronto Maple Leeds, a diehard Leeds United fan. He's here to join us and uh, break down the nil-nil bore that was uh, between Manchester United and Leeds United. Michael, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thank you. I, I'm glad to be on the show today. Thanks for having me. I've been on uh, a few podcasts and television stuff before, but I've never been on a super pod. It's my first time. So, you know, thanks very much. <laughs> oh, man. I guess we can get right into it then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the Super League, I mean, what a 72 hours of madness it was between Sunday and Tuesday, Carl. We already broke it down, but what were your thoughts, Michael? Especially, you know, obviously on the one hand, there's what it does to the game of football, but on uh, on another, were you kind of saying, "Hey, there's a Champions League spot up for grabs here for Leeds"? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't really thinking about. You know, I, if I if Leeds are going to get into the Champions League, I want us to earn it the traditional way. To be honest, I, there I you go. Like, well, you know, wow. I guess maybe we could qualify this year, but I, I, I really didn't think it would happen. I I kind of figured this thing would collapse in, in some fashion, or if it didn't, something else would would occur to stop that. But um, you know, I as far as my perspective from Leeds, you know, we obviously in in the early two thousands we overreached and we paid our punishment for that, being relegated and spending sixteen years doing that. And when I see a lot of these uh, clubs that were signed up to the Super League, what I see is a lot of clubs that are in debt, <laughs> quite quite a few of them, not all of them, but quite a few of them, and quite a few of them that are looking for ways to bring in more money so they can spend more money. And I'm quite offended by that as a Leeds United fan, given what we've been through. And, you know, frankly, my view of it is you, sh- you should live within your means. And if you can't do that, then you should suffer the same fate that we did. So that, that's my view of it generally. Um, in terms of you mentioned that what it does to the football pyramid. I mean, the the, the big six clubs, as, as you're called um, in in England, already have a huge financial advantage over every other club. A club like mine, Leeds United, with a lot of history and and frankly a global fan base. And we'll talk about that a little bit, I guess, if we talk about the Maple Leeds, you know, the group that I'm that I'm with that you mentioned before. You know, we're we're an up and we're an up and coming club again in the sense that we're reestablishing ourselves in that sort of traditional role as one of the larger clubs, one of the bigger clubs in in England and in the Premier League. And I feel that uh, something like that would would take away from clubs like ours that are battling other, other clubs as well, West Ham, uh, Aston Villa, other clubs that are you know traditional clubs that have really good followings that really deserve a chance to, to, to be in the mix against clubs like Manchester United and, and, and Chelsea and, you know, a few other clubs that were only established a few years ago, like Manchester City. And Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of the things that was so frustrating for me is you've got these owners coming in, looking to bank on tradition and history that was established long before they were around yeah, and just looking really to cash point. in. Yeah, and that's a really, really good point. In terms of international teams, I'm always rooting for the Dutch. And to see a team like Ajax not included when they were European champions four times, and then you look at the complete disregard for women. We don't need to get into all of that because we discussed it in the previous episode. Why don't we get into a little bit of how you became a Leeds United fan and how all of this started for you? 
Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I'd love to. So uh, I grew up in Canada. Uh, my mom is from Leeds. Um, I became uh, sort of a, a football fan in, in sort of the mid late 90s. I think really following World Cup 94. So that was I mean, that was sort of the big event over here. And I think kickstarted a lot of, of football fandom in North America. There was some sparse coverage of the game here before, uh, you know, I guess we had soccer Saturday and whatever that, you know, that one match a week kind of thing. But after that point, you know, in 94, I was I was you know, 13 years old, I started getting into it a little bit more, uh, getting into high school, I had some friends who were who were really into it. And I, I didn't really have a club at that point in time. I said my mom was from Leeds, but I didn't really have a huge connection at that point other than that I knew that my mom was from there. So when I decided to start following a little more closely, I thought, hey, you know what? Like let's let's check out that family connection and see what's going on with this with this club. And and really sort of, you know, 1997, 98, around there, I, I really started following them much more closely, which, you know, uh, got a lot easier once I got into, you know, university in like 1999, had access to the internet on a regular basis, could follow the club more closely. Because again, back then, as you guys may remember, there wasn't a lot of televised coverage. We had a couple of games a week, I think, by the time the late 90s came around. So um, yeah, that that really helped establish uh, establish that connection. And uh, and I've been following them really closely ever since, even, even throughout the, the 16 years we were down you know tried my best to to keep in touch even though i went i think probably about a decade without ever seeing a match on television because of that relegation wow yeah what was it like following that team with all those greats like you think about harry kuehl and you think about mark viduka yeah. and uh you yeah. know david older managing that team what was that like it was i mean it was really exciting and you know it was um the one thing that that stood especially that year that we had that champions league run to the to the semifinal i know a lot of leeds fans always talk about that because it's the best season probably that we had had uh you know at, at that level in a very long time um it was it was neat because we kept sort of confounding expectations you know a lot of my friends again being in canada not a ton of Leeds fans around at that point, a lot more Manchester United fans, a lot more Arsenal fans and Liverpool fans uh, that, I, that I was in school with in university at that point. And, you know, they were, uh, they were all shocked that I was sort of, you know, the, kind of like the cock of the walk at that point. Right. Because everyone was like, <laughs> wow, I can't believe how, how good you guys are doing. Right. So it was a, it was a deep period to be, to be a Leeds United fan. And I had only been a fan, as I said, for a few years at that point. So, I don't want to say it set uh, an unrealistic expectation, but I, I can say that that being relegated just a couple seasons later hit really, really hard. <laughs> I mean, that's that's quite the story. I can't imagine. So you know, when you're in League One, you, you mm. I guess all you can do is you follow the the text commentary because it's probably it. hard to to even watch the games because they're not televised, right? That's right. Yeah, there was nothing was televised at all. Um, you know, I caught like an FA Cup match, you know, like it was, yeah, it was really, really tough. So I would I would literally log on and just watch the text updates. Uh, and that's how I would follow along. And then, you know, o- occasionally would find a, um, <clears throat> a, uh, a radio uh, signal on the internet, <clears throat> the uh, provenance of which we won't get into. But um, yeah, <laughs> well, you got to do what you got. I mean, if there's no other coverage, right? You have to do what you have to do to follow your club, right? So yeah, I, I did. Uh, I did try to follow along that way. It wasn't. It wasn't always easy, um, but uh, but you know, but I did, and uh, I was able to keep up with them quite well during that period. Um, as painful as it was, not being able to watch any matches live. Absolutely, I know a friend, Matt Bamforth, who was on the show 
for the mm-hmm. first edition where there were a lot more goals in the game, he was mentioning, you know, one one memory that always sticks out for him was when Leeds played Manchester United in the FA Cup and managed to get one over us. Uh, that was, you know, a bright spark in a pretty, you know, uh, tough period for you guys. It was. It was, uh, I would say it's one of the moments that kind of sustained our souls a little bit during that period. We went on to, to be promoted back to the championship later on that season. But yeah, it was uh, It was one of those bright spots in a very dark period and it did keep us going, I think. Um, and, you know, it's become, you know, lore in a way and, and, uh, and Jermaine Beckford, who scored a lot of really great goals for us. But I think that really propelled him into sort of that legendary status for, for our club at a, at a very different difficult time absolutely uh so vivek why don't we we get right into the game that we had today uh and uh any surprises with the starting lineup for united manchester united i guess i was a little bit surprised uh, to see pogba left out but then when i looked at the upcoming fixtures for united you look for manchester united you look at roma liverpool roma aston villa leicester with all due respect, this was probably the lowest leverage of the lot when you consider that at this stage of the season, Leeds don't have anything major uh, to play for in terms of, except, you know, just continuing to develop and improve their play. And for Manchester United, obviously, we know with the way they've lost semifinal after semifinal, that Roma fixture is huge. Solskjaer obviously wants to get over that hump. So when you take all of that into consideration, Saving Pogba and Cavani's legs, I think, makes sense. And if you get a result, you get a result. Manchester United are pretty safe in second place unless they have a real slide over the next few weeks. Uh, I don't think that's going to change. And what about for you, Michael? Any any surprises on your end for the, for the lead starting lineup? No, 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 no surprises at all. Um, you know, with uh, it's disappointing that Rafinha was not available. He's still injured from that pretty controversial tackle uh, by Fernandinho in the Man City match at the end, which it retracted a yellow. But considering he was the last man, probably should have been a red. And he, he bodied him pretty good. And from what I understand, Rafinha's leg is it, it was taped up right after the match, and he's not back yet. hasn't trained yet. So uh, that was that was disappointing, but it wasn't surprising. We all sort of knew that was coming. Um, with you know the exception of me forgetting to swap him out of my fantasy Premier League team, which was stupid <laughs> on my part, but um, I just got carried away at the moment, I guess. But yeah, I uh, no surprises. It's been the same lineup for us the last few matches. A squad of our size at this point in time where we haven't really had a chance to build it out, um, you know, with more uh, standard sort of first team type players, the squad in a lot of ways picks itself. You know, if you look at, at some of our substitutions, we brought on, you know, Matthias Click and, and Robin Koch, um, who are both experienced professionals. But when we had to swap out a winger, we brought on Jan Paveda, who's like 19 or 20 years old, right? And that's that's sort of what we have. Our, our bench today was stacked full of teenagers. Teenagers who just mm-hmm. won, by the way, the Premier League Division Two, uh, Premier League Two Division Two uh, title. Um, so good for them. So the, our, our, our U23s will be playing against your U23s next season, which is great to know. Uh, and should be some some exciting matches at that level. But yeah, our our, uh, our squad was pretty much exactly what I expected. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, uh, you know, if I was looking at it as well, another element, I don't know if this was another reason, but Paul Pogba, he's obviously a Muslim and, and is fasting for Ramadan. So I wonder if that had anything to do with this, you know, early fixture and potentially another reason why Ole didn't want to risk him, knowing that he wants him to play probably the full 90 minutes against Roma. Mm-hmm. So, moving into the game, Vivek. Yep. First half, 
what caught your attention? I know there's definitely one talking point in the handball, non-handball with Luke Shaw. Was there much else that caught your attention? I think the one thing I was paying attention to was the matchup between Bruno Fernandes and Calvin Phillips. And I feel like it played out the way we've seen man marking on Bruno play out when Paul Pogba is not on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Because if you can kind of take Bruno out, then the creative options just aren't quite there. And so uh, I thought Calvin Phillips did a good job. And when you're looking at Scott McTominay and Fred for creativity, it's not necessarily going to be there. So I think while United had few intricate plays where they were able to get in behind and there was that one really nice cutback that Bruno had for Mason Greenwood, which Greenwood should have had a better touch on, I, I don't think Leeds United were really heavily threatened uh, in that first half you could say you know right at the end that 45th minute you know first Rashford had the free kick and then Maguire really should have done better with uh, his header on the corner but other than that I, I didn't think there was anything that was really cutting edge uh, Michael what did you make of, of the matchup between Calvin Phillips and Bruno yeah, I think that was the key, the key matchup from a Leeds perspective, anyway, um, of the match for me. And and I've given Calvin Phillips, at least from my view, the man of the match for for how he was able to handle a player as good as as Fernandez. Um, Calvin was was sort of all over him, and there were I mean, there were a couple of times where Bruno was able to get away. That one uh, in the second half where he where he dragged it wide was one example of where he was able to get free. But uh, to to have shackled him up the way that he did for most of the match was really impressive from Calvin and and in front of the England manager as well would be probably pretty happy with a performance like that from one of his players so yeah that was a, that was a key match uh, key matchup for me uh, in terms of as you're saying about um about the chances yeah I mean the game was a bit scrappy and uh, well Manchester United certainly had more chances I didn't particularly feel uh, like a lot of them were very clear-cut chances and as I was as I was watching the match you know I, I'm always a, a sort of my nerves are always jangling whenever I'm watching Leeds play it doesn't matter who they're playing but I never had any moments where I was like burying my, my face in my hands or anything um, you know not not like the first time we played earlier this season so <laughs> there, was, there was enough of that so, so maybe maybe we just had got all the goals out of the way back then right but you were saying before too about Scott you know relying on Scott McTominay to create maybe he certainly did in the last match um, but you know, not not to go back and sort of relitigate that one. But I, I think in that first match, you know, if that first goal from him in the first minute didn't go in, that was a different match for me. And and I think if he hits that shot a hundred times, it went in the one time that it's going to go in. Right, sort of skimming off the outside of his foot and going into the corner like that. So I, yeah, I, I, you're right. He's probably not going to be a great creative outlet for you regularly. But um, you know, maybe Lightning would strike a third time potentially today with him in the net. But yeah, there wasn't a lot. I didn't I didn't feel we were under a great a, lot, a great lot. We were under pressure, but not a great lot of threat. Now, Carl, there was one huge uh, talking point from that first half, 19th minute. Luke Shaw, you know, he, he's always composed on the ball. The ball comes across his chest. The way he takes it down, he's so casual about it. You think he's supremely confident that it hasn't touched his hand. But then we see the replays and it looked very much like it could have been a handball and a penalty for Leeds United. What was your instant reaction and what was uh, what were your thoughts after seeing the replay, Carl? So my instant reaction was was no penalty, but the more and more I watched it and based on the precedent that's been set in previous games, if a penalty had been given, I would have no complaints. It was one of those where hey, if it's given, 
you move on. If it's not given, you move on. I think what might have saved Luke Shaw was when you look at the replay, he was moving his arm backwards, almost portraying that he's trying to get his arm out of the way. And then when I looked at the replay even further, there was a Leeds United player making a run. So if Luke Shaw doesn't touch the ball, that player has an open shot on net. And so I thought what Luke Shaw did was extremely smart. The way in which he did it, I don't know if he meant all of it, but um, I'll say that United, Manchester United got lucky. They got away with one there. I appreciate your honesty on that. And I mean, you don't have to take my word for it either. Paul Scholes basically said the same thing and, and Michael Owen wasn't that far. He thought maybe it wasn't, but he, he wouldn't have complained. Um, you know, so two, two, two United, former United players, Manchester United players there that all sort of think that it was uh, a penalty or could have been a penalty. I, I agree with you, Carl, in the sense that when I first saw it, I wasn't sure. I thought maybe it was sort of more shoulder, but the replay showed it was it was definitely below the T-shirt line. It was off his forearm uh, and elbow uh, at best. And I think Shaw was a lucky, lucky boy today that that, uh, that that didn't get looked at a little bit closer. And I'm not, I'm not quite sure why it did, but... Um, the fact that there was a Leeds United player uh, sort of steaming in and would have had probably a very good chance, maybe chance of the, of the match uh, to that point um, had Shaw not deflected it, uh, that, that would have been a goal. And for me, that makes it probably more likely a penalty than not. So l- very lucky today for Luke Shaw to not have given one away. Michael, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the final 10 minutes of the first half, because I felt like that's when the chippiness really started to pick up. You had the ailing challenge on Rashford. You had the uh, Roberts challenge on Mason Greenwood as well, both of them picking up yellows. What do you think led to all of that? And Was that maybe just a bit of tactical fouling as well, where they know what type of threat United present on those wings. And it's like, hey, you got to do what you got to do to stop the play. Yeah, you know, with um, generally speaking, first of all, I, I think Leeds had had really kind of struggled to get into the match to that point. And I think maybe we're getting a little bit frustrated. Mm-hmm. I think they also were uh, maybe becoming a bit worried that the pressure would tell and that Manchester United would end up sneaking something in, in, the, in the final minutes of the half, which is never a good thing. You know, to concede near the end of a half it changes, changes the game, right, um, yeah. in, in, in a very substantial way. So I think that may have been on their mind. Now, with, with the Luke Ailing one in particular... Uh, I mean, he left one on, but I don't think there's anything cynical about it. I think he really is just his momentum ended up carrying him into Rashford more than anything. I I think maybe he thought he could get there in time, realized he couldn't, tried to pull out and ended up, you know, going to ground and bowling him over. Um, The Roberts uh, foul was a little more deliberate for sure. Um, I think he got some of the ball there, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a hard, it was a hard tackle for sure. And it, maybe, maybe it deserved a yellow, it's a bit of a soft yellow, but certainly a hard tackle and, and a foul. But again, I think that's why. And the one thing I'll say is that Manchester United did, did sort of skin us on the wings quite a few times. So maybe that was part of it as well is that they were, they were tired of getting skinned down the wings and, and that frustration was playing in there as well. Vivek, did you think that... United could have done something differently to to become a little bit more attacking and work the keeper a little bit more? I think the only thing I would have wanted to see differently is maybe move Rashford out of that central striker role. I think that's something where I've, I always view Mason Greenwood as the best striking option. And so I think having him in a more central role 
I, I would have preferred. I think there's been even little stretches we've seen before where even though Rashford is looked upon to play that uh, striker role, Bruno has almost gone into that role and Rashford has just taken up his space uh, out wide and that has worked well. I think those two things maybe didn't happen often enough. And that's where, you know, you get to the second half and we can get to that. But uh, United just sort of look to change the personnel as opposed to really change too much uh, in terms of their approach. Now, looking to that second half, Carl, we had a bit of a discussion over this. I'm curious to get uh, Michael's thoughts on this. So 48th minute, James, uh, Daniel James and Bruno Fernandez cross wires on, again, a- another moment that could have been the best chance of the match if they yeah. play things right. On plays like that, are you expecting James to just take it all the way? Uh, are you expecting Bruno with you know the, the way he takes on moments and is always looking to get a shot on goal or set something up? Are you expecting him to take the ball? Did you think Leeds did well enough to sort of throw them off in that moment? It, it was an interesting moment. I think there was some confusion and I think there was a thought maybe there that that Bruno had had straight offside when Daniel James got the ball I I don't know um having I mean I don't follow every one of your matches I'm not sure where Daniel James is right now in terms of his confidence levels he didn't seem supremely confident today when he had the ball to be honest and, and maybe that's a thing I don't know if that's a thing normally or if that's just the way he is right now or maybe it's just today but I mean he did well enough against us in the last match but mm-hmm. uh, I, I I would have expected I would have expected him to to take it on at that point um, I was surprised that he that he didn't and sort of that they left it for each other and there was some cross wires there but um, yeah I just think it was confusion and, and maybe a thought that someone had straight offside uh, that's sort of what I put it down to I don't know if it was if it was the way that we were defending it that necessarily contributed to that it's just one of those moments i think where where the wires got a bit crossed up yeah for, for me vivek i have a similar opinion i thought you know if dan james has played two three four games in a <laughs> row the outcome of that would be very different from what actually happened and this is to michael's point of having confidence it almost looked like dan james took it and he's like oh bruno's there i should give yeah. it to him and and yeah. bruno's a very demanding player as well right so if he's calling for the ball you're more than likely giving it to him unless you're a Paul Pogba or a Marcus Rashford who has their own confidence, right? And so I think if Dan James had just taken it and gone with it and tried to get a shot off, that would have been better than than what actually happened where it's just they left the ball for each other and then mm-hmm. it kind of came to nothing. Leeds was able to regroup and get in behind the ball and snuff it out, which was kind of the story of the game uh, for most of the second half as well. Uh, Vivek, did you think those changes came a little too late for United, Manchester United? If it, if it was a must-win match and if Manchester United were really right there on City or if Leicester's right on their heels, I would have said, yeah, it, it was too late. But with Roma being the focus, I think the priority would have been, no, there's no way I'm playing Pogba or Cavani for more than 20 minutes. And so that's why I don't have any real issues. That's why even at the end of the match, I was thinking... You know, who's really unhappy with this result? <laughs> like, you know, you, you think of where Leeds United are in the table. They're safe. They're, there's nothing they need to worry about. Manchester United, they're pretty safe with where they're at. There, there's really nothing for me to be too upset about in this match. So the one thing I will say is with the way you, Manchester United have played this game, they really better show up against Roma. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. After, you know, basically... Saving someone the chamber, you you make sure it comes out against Roma, that's for sure. 
Well, I've got some bad news for you. A lot of teams that play us go on to lose the next one. So <laughs> <laughs> all, all that running, eh? That's the that's that's the real Bielsa burnout. We burn out the other guys. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, to that point, Michael, uh, I have a question for you, and this yeah. is something that uh, Matt brought up when he was on the show last time. Mm-hmm. He was talking about how Bielsa's plan B is to just do plan A better. I want, uh, I'm curious to know what your impressions are of that. Obviously, there's limitations, as you mentioned before, with the squad depth, how you know he can potentially resort to different tactics if he actually has more players at his disposal. But yeah. uh, w- what do you make of you know Bielsa's managerial style? Yeah, so I mean, it's true that for the three seasons that we've had him, for the most part, plan B is just doing plan A better. That has changed a little bit, and he has adapted in the last, I would really say since since about New Year, um, we've moved uh, Stuart Dallas into midfield, um, and and we've had him playing in, in somewhat, you know, we go man-to-man all over the pitch. But Stuart Dallas has been playing almost in a hybrid role where he also has a little bit of zonal responsibility, and that's really sort of changed the dynamic in midfield for us. So that, you know, I, I don't think that Bielsa will ever change his philosophy. He believes in attacking football. He, he wants to win, first and foremost, of course. He, and he says that himself. You know, winning is, is the most important thing. Um, but he wants to do it, wants to go about it what he considers to be the right way. He believes the game should be played in a certain way. He believes that all football matches should be a spectacle where they're, they're out there playing them for the benefit of the fans. Um, so he does believe that, you know, the best way to win is by playing the right way. And, and that's how he wants to get there. And so playing that plan A attacking style of football will always be his top priority. Um, but we've seen even just in the last few matches, bringing on, for example, and it's more personnel change necessarily than, than, than a strategic change, but bringing on Robin Cock, for example, to, to fill out the back line a little bit in the dying moments of the match and trying to, we did start to sit a little bit deeper at that point in time um, and, and tried to hit on the break a little bit. So I think he's been adapting somewhat to being able to shift gears, not to the extent that you see a lot of other managers do it, but tweaks in a match that will make that will make the difference. And I think one of the things you've noticed with, with or that you will have noticed with Leeds if you followed is that we've had very good second half performances repeatedly. And that's because I think he does make tweaks at halftime. He does talk to the to the players about how he wants them to perform really be a little bit differently than they had been. And it seems to be working. I mean that and the fact that our fitness levels usually show through towards the end of matches as well. So that I mean that always helps. But I, I do think that he has adapted somewhat. In terms of you know, improved second half performance, 62nd minute and 74th minute leads had a couple of great chances. I don't know which one you'd pick out as uh, the better Costa firing over. Obviously it was slightly deflected, uh, but that was a great ball from deep. I believe it was ailing switching it all out. Oh, Calvin, Cal- Calvin uh, Phillips. Yeah. 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 Switching it all and all the way. And then 74th minute click. I mean, yeah. I was so even as a Manchester United fan, I was shocked uh, at that yeah. shot after clearing the space yeah. for himself. Yeah, he got it on his wrong foot, right? Click. So I mean, that's the that's the difficulty. And and what you know, it's Click's been struggling with his shot lately. And I think um, he was a guy that we could always rely on uh, for goals from midfield. And he was uh, he was excellent at shooting from around the edge of the box. But um, something's happened this season. Not even at the start. I mean, at the start of the season, he got himself a few goals. 
but uh, but he lost. Um, I think he was he was injured. He's been carrying a hip injury for a while. Um, he was having a lot of difficulty with his shots. A lot of stuff blazing over. Um, and I think it's again to go back to that confidence conversation. I think he's lacking a little bit of confidence in his shot. But also, I'd say you know he sort of switched it onto his on his weaker foot, and yeah, it ended up being really tame in the end. Um, for that reason, I would say it, it could have been the better chance. But that Costa one was that would that would have been something else. And had it not taken a deflection, I think that's top corner. Yeah, I'm with you there. Carl, should we get into the awards? Yes, yes, I think. I don't think there was much else to talk about in this match. <laughs> no, it, it kind of at that after that point, it kind of just you know rumbled on as a bit scrappy, as I said throughout. So, so first off, we can. Uh, why don't we start with the noisy neighbor? Because we were just talking about the different uh, contributors in this match uh, from a Leeds United perspective, and we started with that matchup between Calvin Phillips and Bruno Fernandez. Michael, who did you think was Leeds' best player? Calvin Phillips today, for sure. I honorable mention, though, uh, Melier had a really good game, made some very good uh, high claims in the box, and that one save off the Rashford free kick was astounding. So honorable mention to Melier, but I, I think definitely uh, is Calvin Phillips' man of the match. Uh, noisy neighbor award uh, today. <laughs> Carl, what about yourself? Yeah, I was super impressed with the way Calvin Phillips played. I think when you're playing in that role, one of the tough things is to be able to go a whole game without getting a yellow card because you're invariably marking the other team's best player who is has a lot of trickery. And you get one tackle wrong, okay, fine. You know what? Refs sometimes lets that go. But if, the, if you're consistently fouling, you usually get a yellow card for the number of fouls. And I thought... And let's be real, Bruno is one to <laughs> look for it too. <laughs> yes, he, he has no problem... Um, uh, letting the referees know when he's been fouled. Let's put it that way. I think what I really liked about Callum Phillips was how clean his tackles were. If you look at the total number of tackles he had and how many times he won it versus lost it, you would have a high proportion where he's actually won it. He pinches the ball really well. And I now understand why Garrett Southgate is so high on him. I can definitely see him starting for England the way he's playing in the Euros. Now, one thing that I was looking for and it's because United has this problem is we have some good defensive midfielders in Fred and Scott. However, when they win the ball, they don't know what to do with it. And this is something Calvin Phillips, as you, you mentioned with creating that chance, he has that ability to spray it. I think he can get better. I wouldn't say that he's exceptional from his offensive distribution. I think he's he's better than average. That's how I would put it. Long story short, I thought he was by far and away leads his best player. If he didn't have the game that he had, I doubt this game would have been goalless. Yeah, I have, I have no arguments. I mean, I'm just pulling up some stats on Calvin Phillips. Uh, shout out to SofaScore. They've become my number one source of <laughs> all these uh, post-match stats. Ground deals, one, 17 tackles, eight interceptions, two, a couple of clearances in there, block shot. So uh, he had seven successful long balls, you know, I think... When you look at his overall performance, I'm looking at his map. That's something I can't share on the podcast in audio format, but he's all over the pitch and he's able to switch those diagonals. So I think easy pick in this one. Let's move on to the Beckham boot. Carl, who stood out to you as United's worst player or maybe just generally the worst player on the pitch? So I would say this was a game where we didn't have a player that was below par for the most part. Uh, one player that was frustrating me quite a bit, and so I might be a little biased here, is is Daniel James. That's who I would give the boot to. 
But <laughs> I, I am being a little unfair because we know that he's a confidence player. So in his first game coming to the team after a while, he's probably going to be more timid than he should be. But I thought some of his decision-making, some of his touches in the box, where you need to be crisp and get that shot away was missing. And so I think that's that's who I would uh, give the boot to. Michael, any thoughts? I, I, well, I guess it has to go to a player and not the ref who obviously missed on that penalty and also uh, <laughs> gave, gave Patrick Bamford a yellow card when Juan Bissaka suplexed Costa. Strangely enough, that was that was an odd moment. Yeah. But uh, but I, I won't I won't do that. I, I will say probably Dan James. You're right. I, that it's I, I agree. I mean, with hey, you, you can nominate harsh. the referee if you like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? I, yeah, I'm not gonna. I, I made my point about the ref. I I think that I think you're probably right. It may be a little bit harsh on Dan James. I think that one chance that he had that that he missed it. He really should have done better with it. I don't think he offered a lot uh, for you. Most of the time, a lot of the other stuff was coming through other outlets. I mean, he runs a lot, which we all knew. I mean, he almost signed for Leeds, as I'm sure you guys know. Yeah. Um, and that was pulled the pulled at the last minute by by Swansea not not picking up the phone or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's probably the the person on the pitch that did the least. And that 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 being said, I, I think I have to agree with you, Carl. Like, there was nobody that really stood out as being particularly poor. He just wasn't as good as everyone else. I think everyone had a, at least an average or better than average game today, uh, as scrappy as it was. Vivek, one one uh, shout out that I well another nomination is I would give the boot to COVID because <laughs> I would have loved to have seen a full stadium for that game. I mean, you had the sunshine out, which is rare in itself, and then Leeds United's first game in the Premier League at home against Manchester United for quite a while. Man, the spectacle that would have been, uh, it, we just missed out. It's, and it's a pity that we did. So that's the only other thing I'll say on that. Yeah, that's that's a really good shout. I think both sets of fans would have been would have been really up for it. Um, and Ellen Road, would. I, I tweeted this earlier, it would have been an absolute cauldron today ha, had it been full. And this is, um, of all the fixtures on the Premier League calendar, for me, this is the one that misses crowds the most. Absolutely. I'm going to throw a wild card in there mm. since <laughs> since this is... The first match since, uh, at least for Manchester United, since the uh, Super League got shut down, uh, the Glazers. <laughs> we, we didn't hand out any awards when we broke down the Super League. So uh, considering no one really had a poor performance, uh, I think giving it to Dan James would be a little harsh. Just quickly, yeah. you know, going back to that moment between Bruno and him, I would highlight when Manchester United played Real Sociedad, The second goal Man United scored, it was a very similar moment between Dan James and Bruno. And Bruno took the ball on and took the shot. And so I could see how something like that would play on Dan James' mind and say, okay, we've got the same thing again. And so he's leaving it in that sense. Overall, I do agree that he didn't have his best game and he struggled uh, with the dribble more than we've seen of late because it seemed like he had hit a good stretch for a bit. And especially going off his performance in the first go around between Man United and Leeds, you would have expected better. But you know, between uh, the Glazers and COVID, I think th- those two options might be a better shout than Dan James. <laughs> <laughs> fair play, fair play. I, 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 I have that. no problem I t- I giving it that. to the Glazers. <laughs> yeah, I take that. So the Cantona caller, the best player in a United uniform. I'm going to go with uh, with uh, you know despite the fact that he 
suplex over a player, which I'm pretty sure is not the rules. I'm going to go with Aaron Wan-Bissaka. He, <laughs> he absolutely peeled uh, Jack Harrison and, and Alioski down that wing several times today. And I think put in some, some potentially very dangerous balls. I was most concerned, I think, when I saw him getting the ball around the halfway line and carrying it forward. Um, and he seemed to be really good at cutting out our forward passes down that wing as well and getting the better of Jack Harrison in particular. So I'm going to go with Aaron Wambasaka. You know, I'm actually going to agree with you. That was my pick as well. And we've been a little critical of Wambasaka with certain areas of his play, uh, going forward being one of them. And secondly, something he's not known for is his heading ability. And something that I saw today a lot of times was Aaron Wan-Bissaka getting on the end of a header and actually heading it out into a good space most of the time. You know, you can be guilty of heading it into an opponent's path and helping them, but I thought he did really well. And you know what, whatever else you mentioned, uh, Michael, in terms of cutting out the ball, intercepting, and really uh, very good defender one-on-one, that, that's yeah. what he's known for, right? And yeah. um, I thought just adding these different elements, and I thought even his... The way he was able to position his body and sway going one way and then going the other and making some really neat turns, that's something yeah, new that I saw in his game that I hadn't seen before. And so for all of those reasons, I would also pick Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Yeah, I've got, I've got no arguments there. I thought, you know, just from a tactical standpoint, I did think it was interesting some of the space that United's defenders were afforded because I thought several times as well, Harry Maguire was able to drive up the pitch, sort of start United's attacks. So I thought tactically that was something that that was interesting as well. But again, when you prioritize, when you rightfully prioritize taking away Bruno's creativity, uh, you know, really getting up on Rashford, Greenwood, you got to give something up. And so that's what ends up happening. You probably live with what Aaron Wan-Bissaka or Harry Maguire might do as opposed to the others. You know, that may have been a tactical thing from Bielsa as well, uh, letting Maguire have the ball and, and come through like that, because that was something that we ended up doing for the first time. I really, I mean, that is an area that we've struggled in before, but now we're actually doing it intentionally. At least we did against uh, Manchester City. It was it was sort of always, uh, you know, let, let John Stones have the ball. And, and that was actually a, 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 a strategy that Bielsa employed saying, you can have the ball, but if we eliminate the more creative players, not going to do anything with it. And I think that's exactly what we saw play out again today. So I, I wouldn't, I don't know if it was the case today that it was intentional, but I wouldn't rule that out. So that wraps it up for the awards and the match analysis. Michael, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Please let us know more about Toronto Maple Leeds and where any, any lead supporters who aren't aware can, can find you guys. Yeah, so Toronto Maple Leeds were we were established about uh, about a year ago, um, a year and a bit ago anyway, and uh, and you can find us on Twitter at Maple Leeds. Uh, well, there's also a Facebook page, Toronto Maple Leeds. I'm not on Facebook myself, but I know it's there. Um, we, when COVID will allow, be meeting up again for matches at the Pint. Uh, on Front Street in Toronto, uh, down there beside uh, beside the Dome. That's uh, sort of our home base now. Um, so hopefully that will happen soon as uh, people get their their sleeves rolled up and and start getting more uh, uh, more shots in their arms there. So quick, go and go and get your shots if you can get them because the sooner we can all get back together with our respective uh, respective groups watching football together again, I think it'll be better for all of us. So uh, but yes, that's where you can find us at Maple Leeds or Toronto Maple Leeds on Twitter. Great. Thanks a lot for uh, joining us today, Michael. Really appreciate it. Well, I, I appreciate the invite. I know I'll never get an invite to a Super League, but I'll gladly take an invite from you guys anytime. <laughs> <laughs> 
A pleasure having you, Michael. Carl, looking ahead to Roma, I mean, that's basically what Solskjaer was doing in this match anyway. Let's uh, talk about the expectations and the starting lineup for this match coming up on Thursday. Obviously, expectations, I think, is to get past that semifinal hurdle, that get that monkey off their back. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. I think this is pivotal for Ole. If he can show that he can get a trophy, that might just mean that in terms of investment in the squad, he could probably get a couple of extra million because he can show the potential. Whereas if we don't get any trophy, it might be harder to justify just because the amount of revenue coming into the club will be less. right? And we have to keep in mind that without any fans coming to the stadium, Manchester United's revenue stream has been affected. Now with Roma, they are a side that cannot be taken lightly. They've got quite a few former Premier League players in there and they play an interesting formation. If they play three at the back, which they have been playing lately, it means they've got more players in midfield, which means that our defensive midfielders are going to be even more important because the last thing we want to do is get outnumbered in midfield. This is where the likes of Paul Pogba is going to be extremely important. Hopefully he can use his previous Italian experience to know how to play that kind of game, right? And I think that's going to be extremely important. So those are a couple of the uh, points that I would watch out for. What about you, Vivek? Yeah, I think probably along similar lines. Big picture, I always look at these matches as an opportunity to see what the difference in the depth is between the different leagues. So, for example, you know, we saw where Real Sociedad were in La Liga and we see how that stacks up against the Manchester United, who were second in the Premier League. Now, Roma are seventh in... Syria, we get to see how that stacks up against Manchester United as well. So curious to see what that difference sort of looks like uh, on the pitch. I think United will come out of this. I think they will be well prepared. I think they've done well to establish second place uh, at this point and afford themselves the chance to focus on these two legs and come away with the, the result that they want. I think back to the disappointment in losing at the semifinal stage last season. And I remember how hurt Harry Maguire looked and how disappointed the players looked uh, at that opportunity. And I hope that that bitterness is still remembered and that they really carry that uh, motivation to right those wrongs in this match. Starting lineup-wise, cup competition. So now the expectation is that David De Gea will be in net. Don't expect uh, anything to change with the back four. And then looking at the CDMs, maybe this is where we get into a bit of a debate because we're trying to fit Paul Pogba in. His best form has come on that left side further up the pitch. Is that where you would like to slot him in or are you slotting him alongside a Fred or a Scott? No, I think he he should be slotted in further up the pitch. The more and more I think about it and the more and more I think about Roma's formation, I think I would have Pogba on the left I'll have Rashford in the middle uh, on the right and then Bruno in the middle with Cavani up top. Having our two defensive midfielders and also Ole likes to go with that formation, especially in the big games, I could easily see Scott and Fred playing again in the defensive midfield. What about you, Vivek? Yeah, I think uh, that makes sense. Scott and Fred in the big games, we know how much uh, Solskjaer loves to go to that. Bruno in front of them. And then you look at the form that Pogba has had on that left side further up the pitch, I think. You, that should be a priority for United. So I have no issues with playing him there. Cavani is well rested, so he should slot in 
up top. And then I guess maybe you can get into a bit of a de- debate between Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood because Mason Greenwood has been lights out on the right side. We know that Marcus Rashford on the right side versus the left is a different player. When you factor in as well that the fact that he's been playing through a bit of an injury and just been dealing with that foot issue the last few weeks and he plays roughly 80 minutes in this one, would you maybe want to see Greenwood start and Rashford come off the bench? Honestly, Marcus Rashford's a big game player. I can't see Ole starting Marcus on the bench. I think he's going to (laughs) play. The only thing I'll say is that the following fixture is Liverpool. Exactly. So that that, that makes it interesting, right? Because you got Liverpool on Sunday after that too. And, and, you know, Marcus being a born and bred red, I'm sure he'll want to start against Liverpool. So if he has a choice, he's going to probably stay on the bench for Roma and start against Liverpool. So, Vivek, you always pose the tough questions. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I've actually changed my mind. I think Marcus, sorry, uh, Mason Greenwood will start and Marcus comes off the bench. Hey, look at that. Maybe, maybe that's why... Uh... I decided to become a journalist. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Well, we look forward to that fixture. It's a, it's a, I think it's a big chapter in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's career at Manchester United. We'll see how that first leg turns out. And obviously, we'll be here to recap all of it. Until then, a reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. We appreciate all your reviews and ratings on behalf of Carl and myself. Thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.